he's going to be a problem. He's the <laughs> one guy that can be a problem for Alabama. Always College Football with Greg McElroy is presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hello and welcome in. Today is Friday, January 13th edition, Friday the 13th. Not going to get too spooky. Pretty basic as it relates to our Friday shows. We're going to have Matt Berry join the show today. Really look forward to kind of putting a bow on the regular season and the postseason for college football. Who's up? Who's down? Big takeaways, the big picture questions. Matt called games on Thursdays and was in the studio for Fridays and Saturdays, so he didn't miss a beat. He probably saw every single game that you can imagine because the studio setup up there in Bristol, Connecticut, has about eight television screens all over the place. So if there was a game that was on, Matt Berry was likely sitting in front of it. We'll kind of put a overarching bow on the season with him. And we're going to dive into what Kevin Warren's departure means for the Big Ten. Not going to go too deep into it. We're going to do our Big Ten postseason preview coming up here in just a little bit. So we will tell you what it means, and we'll tell you why you probably shouldn't panic if you're a Big Ten football fan. I think you're in really good shape. I don't think you need to concern yourself with him going back to the NFL. And no, it's not a lateral move. No, it's not an upward move. It's a move that's a purely a matter of preference. I'll explain here in just a little bit. So without much further ado, it's time for Let's Talk About It, brought to you by AT&T 5G. All right, we're joined by ESPN's Matt Berry. He does an amazing job, obviously, calling games on Thursdays where he has never picked a loser ever. Uh, he also has done an amazing job covering both Friday and Saturday from day to day. I mean, it's like early morning on Saturday all the way until early morning on Sunday, basically 24 hours of coverage. Matty, we appreciate you, brother. How you doing? You know, Mac, I love ball. So anytime we can talk ball and go just, even if we're recapping a season, you and I just spend time together in L.A., uh, it's always fun to sit here and, and chat with you and, and kind of recap what I think we believed was an inevitable ending, but there were there were certainly a lot of things al- along the way to make it interesting. Well, you were all over it from the beginning. Like I think all of us were trying to find a way for TCU to be successful in the game, but you said no shot. Like from the very beginning, this thing's getting sideways. You were all over it, whereas the rest of us were like, yeah, I could kind of see it being competitive for a while before Georgia runs away? Like, why'd you know it was going to get so sideways? Two things. One, you know, you can just, you can look. You can just look at these teams <laughs> and know that there's a difference. And it wasn't anything against TCU. It was just that I didn't believe that they had anybody that was going to be on the level of Georgia. Maybe a couple of guys that, if put it this way, when they're walking out, you can look and say, okay, that guy could play for Georgia, that well, maybe. And, and you just you just kind of knew that it was going to be one of those situations where Georgia was the superior team. And I just, based on what TCU did throughout the season relative to their opponent, and then what Georgia did throughout the season relative to their opponent, I just looked at it and said, this thing isn't going to be close. Now, having said that, I didn't think 65-7 to 7 was a reality, but right. I didn't go into that game – one time thinking that it was going to be a, a close game going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was, it, it definitely was, it had to be, the needle had to be threaded for TCU, obviously for that game to be close and they had to play really well. Georgia had to play less than stellar and the game might come down to the end, but if Georgia played their a game, TCU played their a game, it's a two touchdown game. 
George plays their A game, TCU plays their B game. It's a four touchdown game. If George plays their A game, TCU plays their C game, then you might get what we got on Monday night. Let's talk a little bit about the bigger picture as opposed to just, just get rid of the championships, the championship game for just a moment. What do you make of the Pac-12's resurgence? As a diehard Arizona State fan, you don't you don't hide that bias. You wear that bias, which I appreciate and acknowledge. What do you make of the Pac-12 right now? And is the best yet to come for a league that really broke through this year? It's a great question because I'll answer the first one and say that the resurgence was phenomenal. I mean, how many ranked teams between Oregon, Utah, USC, Oregon State? It was a top-heavy league, top to bottom. I think at the end of the day, the Big Ten, or the Pac-12 had more ranked teams than the Big Ten. I believe it was close with the Big 12. You could argue outside of the SEC that it was one of the strongest leagues in the country. And with Lincoln Riley at USC, Caleb winning the Heisman Trophy, they're loaded again next year. I think they're a sneaky pick to be in the college football playoff national championship. But I think with what Dan Lanning did at Oregon, you have to keep them up, but you also have to keep them in the league. With what Washington and Canada Board did that first year with Michael Penix Jr., who's coming back. You need USC, Oregon, and Washington to be really, really good, especially with USC leaving. Now what you need is some of these other teams. You need Coach Prime to give a little bit of a national recognition, and you need Colorado to be good. You need Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State to build that thing up again. And when you look at it realistically, Greg, there isn't anything out there that doesn't say that with Oregon, Washington, Utah, USC – and a couple of other teams, find me the weakest team. It used to be Oregon State. It used <laughs> to be Washington State. I mean, right. it really did. I mean, even Jed Fish in Arizona has a little something to be optimistic about. And so even the bottom of that league is really starting to find their way up. And it's going to be fun to watch over the next couple of years. It doesn't seem like it's slowing down. It, it feels no. like, if nothing else, even with the upcoming departure of USC and UCLA, the league is in really good standing, which yeah. I, I couldn't feel better about the coaches they've hired and where some of those programs that will be left behind are currently at. Let's move to the Big 12. Uh, if there's one thing I've learned, obviously, this past week is that Texas and Oklahoma better get better fast before they enter the league in the SEC, what's likely to be 2024. But as far as 2022 is concerned, we know TCU is a great story. We get that. Kansas State, really good team. After that, it's not great, which is kind of alarming. Should we be concerned about the Big 12's teams and the teams that are joining this upcoming season? All right, well, two-part. One, Baylor just won the league a year ago, right? Kansas State won the league this year. So there's two teams that you typically don't call on to be really dominant in the Big 12 that have found their way up to win the conference. I would say good things with Joey McGuire are happening at Texas Tech. Feels that way. I agree. We know what's going on with Lance Leipold at Kansas. So there's another team that's on the up. And so you bring in UCF, who's been known to crash a party. Cincinnati, who made the college football playoff. Dana Holgerson runs a good brand of football at Houston. You bring in some of these teams into the league. And you're thinking, okay, maybe there will be a little bit of an opportunity for the Big 12 to be entertaining. With Oklahoma and Texas coming out, you're going to need Oklahoma State. They're going to need to be one of those teams that don't fall flat like they did this year where they started so good. And then out of nowhere, you're like, wait, Oklahoma (laughs) State got beat down again? 
Right. So you're going to need that. You're going to need Oklahoma State. You're going to need TCU to stay there. You're going to need another Texas school to come in. And I think it's a Texas Tech. So in Houston, look, people forget Kevin Sullivan and Art Bryles had that thing going. Heck yeah. Worldwide. And if, if Dana Holgerson can recruit that metropolitan area now with the Big 12 on their shoulder pads, they could be good. And so I think it'll take time to answer the question. I think you're going to have to let the league bake a little bit with this new infused group of teams. And hopefully by the time that they start getting Big 12 talent, this league is one that can represent themselves going forward. Are you concerned at all, though, with how the league... I, look, I think it's great. Personally, I've always viewed the strength of the league. And that's why I asked you about these two teams first, or these two leagues first, Pac-12 and Big 12, because it does feel a bit like a toss-up on a year-to-year basis. Maybe not with Lincoln Riley at SC. I, you know, I don't know. Just using that as an example, every year it's like, ah, I don't know, we'll see. There's like four, maybe five teams that could win it. I do feel like we're in a position where the depth of both leagues is good, but there's not legitimate championship contenders. Should we? Should it impact our view of those two leagues because of that? No, I mean, no. Because I look, I use this all the time. The 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 Big Ten, I, how the Big Ten. I mean, let's be honest with each other. It wasn't good. In fact, it was quite bad. Aside from two and a half teams, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Okay, okay. why are you giving Penn State only a half? Come on, man. Okay, so we'll give them three. Three teams, fine. Three teams, we'll give, all right. <laughs> we'll give them three teams. Rounds so, up. Now you're looking at the rest of the 11. Well, what what are they? Right? And now I think presumably what you're saying is with the realignment, when you lose Oklahoma and Texas, those are your championship contenders in the Big 12, right? Okay, right. So they're gone. And then you lose UC at USC and UCLA to the Big 10. USC is your, your food group program, championship contender. They're gone. And that's why for me, now, now if – Oregon and Washington hang in there and they don't defect. That's two brands right there that could be championship contenders that bring up the rest of the league. Big 12 doesn't have that. They don't have that stable brand with Oklahoma and Texas being gone. They got to have a team like Baylor or someone kind of rise up out of nowhere, TCU, surprise people. But I'd say if it stays intact, the Pac 12's got the better opportunity. Because Washington's won national championships back in the Don James days. Oregon's played there. I think they're better set up for the future. It's hard to argue with that. Let's move to the ACC. Clemson just fired Brandon Streeter. New OC coming in. People assuming it's going to be Jeff Scott, formerly of USF. He was at, obviously, he was there before at Clemson. But have we seen, based on your evaluation this year, have we seen Clemson's best already? That's a hard one just because, I mean, Cade Klubnik was the number one rated quarterback recruit in the country when he came in, right? And so until the recruiting prowess stops, you always have to give Clemson an opportunity to win the ACC, which is winnable. Here's what I'll say about them. I think Miami's coming back. I think Miami's on the way up. Uh, Drake May at North Carolina, he's got another year. What's going to happen with him? I think there are enough teams in the ACC that are finding their way up. Clemson's got to be careful because the generational quarterbacks of Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson aren't coming back. Right. And that was a perfect storm for Dabo, right? 
two top picks, two generational talents. That, that's a, an embarrassment of riches. And so I would say football season is here and nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Not only does Vivid Seats have great NFL ticket prices, they're also the official ticketing partner of ESPN. And with Vivid Seats rewards, when you buy 10 tickets, you get the 11th free. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Receive a reward credit equal to the average price of 10 tickets purchased, excluding taxes, fees, and processing costs. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Going to the playoff every year, that those days are done. But based on recruiting rankings, who they have at quarterback and everything in between, they're absolutely still going to be the team to beat in the ACC. They just can't trip up against South Carolina. If they don't lose to South Carolina, Greg, they're in. They're in. It's hard to argue they're, with that. They're a one-loss conference champion, and they're in. And so that's still how close they are. But I'd say be careful of some of these teams that are on the rise uh, in the ACC. Florida State. I mean, who's going to tell me right now that Mike Norvell isn't the trendy team in the ACC? Those Florida. Are you, are you, how would you? I want to ask you about them. They're the next thing I was going to ask you about. Would you? Would you qualify their season as a massive success, or would you qualify their season as man? It could have been insane. The games that they were both. able to pull off. A little bit of both. They had that middle stretch against ranked teams where they didn't play well, but then they took care of business when they had to, which in the past Florida State wasn't doing. You just had to give people in Tallahassee a reason to believe yeah. that Norvell's the guy. That's all that was. Is this the guy? And the Florida schools have been dormant during Clemson's run. When they wake up, they're, they're, they're going to be ones to contend with in the ACC. Is there anyone else in the ACC we need to be considering? Uh, because Virginia, an awful year. Virginia yeah. Tech, who knows what to make of them. NC State, kind of honestly impressive given the departures but also disappointing in their inconsistencies offensively. But how could you blame them? Doesn't get, I don't get the sense that Georgia Tech's going to just rally and all of a sudden take right. the world by storm. Like, Is there anyone else that we're not thinking about right now in the ACC? I've always fallen victim to Louisville. Like, this is the year. Now, <laughs> with, Brian, with, with Jeff Brom heading there, I mean, that, that could be it. That could be the elixir that they needed because we know they have the, the infrastructure. Right, um, but for me and Brent Pry at Virginia Tech, man, that was a rough first year. Bad. But when you look at the ACC, those four teams we mentioned: Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech. Historically, has been there, and we'll see how Dave Dorn continues to build it at NC State. But it, it's been rough for some of the the quote unquote standards in the ACC during Clemson's dominance. So we'll see what Brom can do, and we'll see if Brent Pry's year one was just an aberration based on what was left for him. Uh, but that's a that's a proud program that knows how to play good football. 
And it's, I love that place. I think it's awesome. So, I, I mean, I think, like you said, if Brett Pry's the guy, I mean, mm-hmm. he's going to have to make some leaps here at some point very soon. Let's move to the Big Ten. We won't spend a ton of time on it since we already hit it a little bit. Would uh, now this might this might sound harsh? Would you would you qualify this season as a success or a failure, given that you had two teams in the playoff that ultimately didn't get through? You had a team that barely lost, and then you had a team that got beat by an inferior roster. Uh, how would you qualify the Big Ten? Same as we have the past few years. I mean, it comes down to one game every year. Now, is that good for your league? Is that legitimately good for your conference when it comes down to one to two games every year? You know what it comes down to? Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. That's your league. So I I don't know. I don't know how to qualify the Big Ten because Nebraska's down. Purdue is in the But for how long? I mean, Matt Rule's going to get it rolling, right? If if he can't, nobody can. That's what I'm saying. So you've got these, you know, Iowa, if they had some semblance of an offense, their defense is remarkable. Um, it's tough to, to rate the Big Ten because they, they're so bright and shiny with, right. with, with the brands. But below the bright and shiny, there just hasn't been much. And that's been the problem. When I can look at the Big Ten schedule and say, up, oh, comes down to week 10, comes down to week 13. I mean, how do you, how do you assess the health of a league? You know, and especially and in a 12 team playoff format, because you're looking at a situation where, all right, well, regardless of the outcome of these games, they're all still in, you know, I, so that I think is, I mean, what those, happened to Michigan, Michigan state? I mean, look at what happened. I mean, if you're counting on some of these teams and they're just not competing, then Michigan state hurt this year. Cause that was yeah. big for them to break through the way they did the year before. Uh, I also thought Minnesota in some ways let us down. There were moments where it's like, dude, Minnesota's cooking and they right. just couldn't quite put it all together. So I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think the Big Ten, I would qualify it. And this is not being harsh. Everyone that's listened to the program knows that like, I support the Big Ten. I like the Big Ten. I, I just don't think it was a great year. Having two teams in the playoffs, awesome. But when neither team gets to the championship, it's only left with further doubt. Finally, the SEC. Uh, LSU phenomenal year I think I I know that a lot of people are like well they lost to AM. I get it I'm not suggesting that they you know give Brian Kelly a lifetime contract but I mean I think he overachieved Georgia we don't need to say much about them <laughs> Bama slightly disappointing but still you know a couple close games here and there I mean they're a bouncer two in one direction or the other where they could be undefeated and find their way to the playoffs so I mean it's how would you what are the tiers in the SEC right now in your eyes so if we start in the SEC East, it's Georgia, Tennessee. That's your base layer. Are those in a different? Those are those are you're putting those in the same category? Uh, yeah. So I think in terms of like top flight, Georgia's in a class of their own. Right. But tier one in the East is Georgia, Tennessee. Tier two, I mean, you're looking at South Carolina. They had a lot of guys bail on the portal. Mark Stoops brings in Devin Leary. Billy Napier at Florida, what's going on there? I mean, it's kind of the same argument where, yeah, week in and week out, you got a big fight on your hands. But the SEC East is a little bit – Florida needs to come up. I'm glad we got Tennessee back because Tennessee is great for college football. Yeah. If you look on the other side and look at the SEC West, Alabama the standard. But I'm telling you, Brian Kelly is finally at a spot where he doesn't have restrictions – 
when it comes to who gets to play football at his school. Yeah. He's going to be a problem. He's the <laughs> one guy that can be a problem for Alabama. And with LSU and how they their resources and how they cater to football, I mean, that's, that's going to be – you're going to have to watch them for a while. Now, Hugh Freeze, I think it was a home run hire for Auburn. He knows the landscape. Can he get that thing going again? We know what Lane Kiffin's doing at Ole Miss. This, the SEC West is so entertaining. Right now, East Georgia, everybody else, Tennessee, we'll see. And then the West, I mean, look, who's got more question marks coming into next year, LSU or Alabama? I think it's Alabama. I would say it's Alabama, yeah. Right. And so that's kind of the flux you're in right now. But 12-team playoff, we could really see a year where the final semifinal teams are all four SEC schools, at least three of the four. That's where this is headed. Well, don't uh, don't shoot the messenger. I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> you know sure how people will. will draw conclusions, especially as it relates to the network that you and I both are employed by. Uh, but That's I exactly. can assure you, I mean, we're just looking at the realities of the circumstances. I mean, who they, you took a look at the 12 team playoff this year? Tennessee's getting in, right? Oh, yeah. Alabama's getting in. Were there many teams that were going to beat? You think Alabama beats TCU? I don't know. I, I think Alabama would, I think Alabama could handle TCU for sure. Right. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, you just got to, again, and I know people hate hearing this. It took me 10 minutes to look at the matchup, look at everything. And I'm like, this national championship's not going to be close. That would have yeah. been a playoff game in another year. So it's good to be, it's good to be Greg Sankey. Let's put it that way. No, he's in good shape. Maddie, can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Get you out of here with this. What was your favorite story of the college football season? You've obviously seen them all. You've covered them all. What was your favorite story? I love, until he got hurt, what Hendon Hooker did for Tennessee. I'm one of those people that loves the belief, right? Right. Believe. Believe that we are who we are. And he gave Tennessee fans that belief again. Um, That was a good one. I think, is I'm – unpopular as he is. I mean, how great of a story is it that Caleb transfers to USC and wins the Heisman? Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How good of a story was Kansas at the beginning of the season? Kansas football, how good was Appalachian State? It's so hard to pick one because here's what I say every year in college football final, at least at the midway point. College football to me goes in sections. It goes the first few weeks, everybody's excited. A couple of storylines develop. And in this case, it was Kansas and App State. 
App State gets college game day. You get the Hail Mary. Kansas gets <laughs> college game day. So then after the storylines develop, you start seeing who the real contenders are. And at that point, the story was Tennessee after they beat Alabama. And then after that phase, then you start seeing who the pretenders were. There's injuries. And then you start seeing who the best teams in the country were. And I think at the end of the day, all those stories, Greg, as you know, that we love this sport, you pick five stories, mush it all up and, and make it into one. And that, that's college football in that show. No, it, it certainly is, buddy. Great stuff all year. We appreciate you. Thanks again for the time. And we look forward Anytime. to visiting again down the road, brother. All right, love you, man. Let's Talk About It is brought to you by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. A great visit there with Matt Barry. Really appreciate him carving out some time for us so that we could discuss in a bigger picture what his impressions of the season were and what it means for the upcoming time. So it was a great visit there. We're very, very grateful for him being gracious with his time and helping us sum things up here on the final Friday of our regular season schedule. When we look at what's coming up here in the future, the Big Ten, much has been made about what Kevin Warren did in leading the Big Ten. Granted, not the longest tenure, just a few years, but he certainly left his legacy with the Big Ten media rights deal that was brought to the forefront earlier this summer. But what does it mean? For those that have not found out just yet, Kevin Warren will depart the Big Ten Commissioner's Office to become the president and CEO of the Chicago Bears. Now, what does this mean? Outgoing CEO Ted Phillips announced in September that he would retire after the 22 season and... When you look at what this means for Chicago, they're also trying to do a new domed stadium. Kevin Warren had previously worked with the Minnesota Vikings and getting their new stadium built. So basically, he's a he's well he's basically perfectly prepared for a job like this. He's done it before, and now he gets to do so in a city in which he's called home for the last handful of years. What does it mean for the Big Ten? Nothing. Your media rights deal is done. It's already finished. It's already summed up. And if you look at where they're at, things are looking very nice for the Big Ten here in the immediate future. You already have USC and UCLA that are on their way. You already have things tied up with three different major networks here in the years to come. You have Fox with the first-tier rights. Then you have CBS with the second-tier rights and NBC with second-tier rights as well. I mean, you can kind of pick and choose exactly where things are. You're going to be on a three-letter network in every window of the college football season. You have a terrific broadcast partner and the well, partners in those three, but the main partner that you have is Fox. Fox is nimble, Fox is aggressive, and Fox has positioned the Big Ten for major success here in the very near future. Some people have actually said that Fox was involved a little bit in USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten. Is that true or not? I don't know. It doesn't matter. They're there. The UC Board of Regents said, hey, UCLA, go for it. You're good to go. We appreciate it. George Klyovkov's not in a position. He's the commissioner of the PAC. He's not in, not in position to really tell you who did this, who did that. But rumors within the industry say that everyone was very aware of what was going on with USC and UCLA. It wasn't some grand secret. So it does seem also like Kevin Warren, according to those that have great knowledge of the situation, he was not the architect behind that move. 
there were other powers that be that were kind of maneuvering and shape shifting and kind of I don't I'm, I think just dangling the carrot out for UCLA and USC to say hey just so you know this opportunity could become real if you want it to become real so basically Kevin Warren it's not that he was kept in the dark I'm sure he was very much involved in the process of USC and UCLA moving to the Big 10 but he was not the key cog in making it happen his tenure is kind of a tricky one to fully explain started in 2020 shut down college football bad decision obviously was proven to be a bad decision and i think for the most part has been the recipient of a ton of criticism because of that decision in 2020 of course sec acc big 12 stayed the course which made the pac-12 and the big 10 start from behind which obviously alienated a significant number of fans and also at the same time you alienate the fans you alienate the players you alienate the schools you alienate the ids it's going to be difficult to stay positive in the court of public opinion. So he came under a ton of fire with his mishandling of the COVID situation back in 2020. Then you fast forward to 2021. Everything that's gone on since then has been fairly decent. If you look at what he's landed as far as revenues are concerned, that was significant. But you also look at the Big Ten presidents, a lot of guys that aren't super tenured, a lot of guys that have kind of knew it wasn't exactly a perfect situation for Kevin Warren to be in. He was at the mercy of his presidents. The ADs really had more power in the Big Ten than they do in other conferences. So therefore, it was a bit of a tug war. ADs wanted to play. Presidents didn't. It was just a very tricky situation. And Kevin Warren was trying to navigate what I think was an impossible ask. If you look at how he'll be remembered, I think a lot of people will look back at Kevin Warren and say he's probably better suited for the professional game. That's the way I anticipate it. I mean, probably better suited for the professional game. I think college is a little bit trickier because you have to deal and manage with both sides of the aisle, the 80s and the presidents, and you also got to deal with the players and the fans. It's a tricky thing to deal with. But ultimately, can you really call his tenure a failure? I don't know how you could. You look at the revenue generated, the eyeballs that he's been able to kind of bring into the, the various universities that are member institutions of the Big Ten. And you think about the rights deals that he signed with multiple television partners. And you think too, I mean, he was there when Michigan punched their ticket. He was there when Ohio State punched their ticket. He was there when two Big Ten teams got in in the same year. So ultimately... I think it's difficult to sum up his tenure as a failure. Now, where does the Big Ten go from here? A lot of people think that it's going to be Gene Smith. He's the Ohio State Athletic Director. He, according to those that are very knowledgeable about the hierarchy in the Big Ten, his voice is the loudest. In the room, when everyone gets together, he's the one that seems to have all the power amongst the athletic directors. It's going to be very interesting, I think, because he's 67 years old. And if you think, too... Jim Phillips, formerly of Northwestern, he was the heir apparent, the guy that everyone had said, oh, Jim Phillips is your guy at the Big Ten. He's going to be the guy, no doubt, when Delaney steps down, it'll be Jim Phillips. Well, Jim Phillips takes the ACC commissioner job, and now it appears as though they may, might want to go in a slightly different direction because Jim Phillips has already spoken for there in the ACC. You look at the hires that have been made in both the Pac-12 and the Big 12, kind of out of the box hires. You think about where the Pac-12 was, they go out, they hire George Klyovkov as a business background. MGM was the company that he came from. 
think about Brett Yormark there at the Big 12. He comes from Rock Nation, which I think was a very forward-thinking hire, especially considering the NIL world and the landscape that you're in. Guy's a deal maker, and he has great relationships, so it made some sense. I don't know Brett Yormark. I don't really know George Klyovkov, but I think both were outside-the-box hires. What will the Big Ten do? Will the Big Ten follow that trend, or will they go with a more traditional hire with a long-term college background. It'll be very interesting, but there's no denying the interest in that position is as real as it's ever going to get because you have seven years of smooth sailing between now and when your deal is up, your media rights deal is up. So you got a long time before you really have to do a whole lot. You can serve as a figurehead, kind of calm the waters, and then try to figure out the best way possible to move forward in the modern era of college football. So it'll be very interesting to see exactly which direction they go, whichever way they go. I think it'll be great because the Big Ten is a terrific league. Ultimately, you're only as good as the brands within your league. And we all know that in the Big Ten, the brands are incredibly strong. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Today is a Friday, naturally. So just telling you what you we have, what we have, excuse me, coming up in the next couple of weeks. We are now going to move into our off-season schedule. So we will not be with you every day. I know it disappoints us too, but we need to kind of come up for air for just a little bit. We've been nose to the grindstone since August in trying to make sure that we're here for you on a daily basis so that you are as prepared for the college football season as humanly possible. But we're going to go to a three-day-a-week schedule. But in the next couple weeks, we're going to try to do the best we can to kind of sum up what's going on in every Power 5 league and we're going to do so in the group of five. So we're going to go on Monday and we're going to talk quite a bit about whatever power five league we choose. Maybe we go in alphabetical order. We'll figure it out. We'll go in alphabetical order, perhaps. And then we're going to break it down. All right, who's up? Who's down? Uh, overachievers, underachievers. Players to watch in the future. Players that we don't, play, players that you're not talking about that maybe you need to be keeping an eye on. Key transfers. All kinds of stuff that we need to get to in some of our Power 5, I guess you could call them post-views or previews, however you want to look at it. So we have a lot to look forward to here in the next couple of weeks. That'll get us into February. In February, we'll start to dive into some recruiting stuff. We'll start to dive into some, we'll obviously hit the Combine there in February as well. A very important transition for a lot of the guys making the way from college to the NFL. And we'll start to do some of our spring previews there in March. We'll do some of our spring previews there in April. And then in the summertime, we'll do some of our big picture topics that we've saved up throughout the course of the season. And of course, we're always going to be taking your mailbag questions. So hit us up at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We look forward to interacting with you there. We can also interact on our social media platforms, always CFB at Twitter and on Instagram. So we very much look forward to that interaction. Please keep those questions coming. We're stockpiling those. We're going to get to them, especially here in the next two or three weeks as we kind of put a bow on the season for so many different Power 5 and Group of 5 teams. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. For Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, this has been Always College Football with Greg McElroy, presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.